but one of my life's passions is oranges, specifically getting oranges up in the air. Uh, I know you think it's about preaching and sharing the gospel, but if I could do anything all day long with my life, I would just, thank you, get oranges up in the air. And, and I, as I do this, I think, you know, I've got an extra hand, maybe I could get two oranges up in the air, you know? And, and, and this, this brings me twice as much joy, twice as much happiness, and I bet if I practiced really hard, maybe I could get three oranges for just a little while. But I'm not that good at it. And if I practiced really hard, I could maybe get four, but eventually I would, I would reach my capacity. And if I want to see more oranges in the air, it's not about me juggling more oranges all the time. It's about me giving oranges away to people and getting them to help me. Grab an orange. Come on. Here we go. Grab an orange. Here we go. There we go. Over here. See, I was going to throw these, but we didn't have a lot of people sitting up front, and I, was, and I got nervous. There we go. I didn't want to hit anybody in the back. I know we got guests here today, and they get smacked in the face with an orange. That would be bad, you know? Here we go. Here we go. All right. Ted, I won't throw an orange at you, brother. I know that'd be bad. I tried juggling lemons in prayer time the other day, and it didn't work out so good. Take some and pass them down. There we go. Here we go. Okay. Oh, you got a cutie, because you are a cutie. All right. There we go. Here we go. Here we go. Whoop. One for Nathaniel. Ted. All the way in the back. Okay. I got two more. Who wants one? Uh, you, you trust me back there. I was, I'm just going to get it back there. Oh. <laughs> Lori, you want to join in? Lori's like, no. All right. There we go. Okay. Now, now, instead of me having to juggle all these oranges, let's together get oranges up in the air. Join with me. Look at this. Look at these. Man, so much joy in my life right now because I'm not the only one doing this. We've got more and more people doing this. You guys aren't, here you go. Oh yeah, I gotta get Sean in on it. I mean, he's the best orange juggler of them all, right? All right, here's my point. You can, orange, you glad you came today? Here's my point. <laughs> what does all this mean? We're in, we're... <laughs> We're near the end of Acts. Actually, we're in the end of Acts chapter 18. We're going through this book of Acts, and we're getting to the end of Acts 18, the last half of it. And what we see is this guy named Paul who really did spread the gospel unhindered. And Paul, what we're going to see is that he didn't do it all. He did a lot, but he didn't do it all. He did a lot, but he didn't try to do it all by himself. He saw the best way to spread the gospel unhindered was to get others along with him. And that's the title of our message today as we talk about living unhindered is don't do it alone. Don't try to do ministry alone. And so I, I want us to see that if we want to see the gospel spread to as many people as possible, then we've got to share the load. We've got to share ministry with others. We've got to get others going along with us on the journey. So let's, that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 18. We're going to read the passage, and then I'm going to sort of break it down and unpack it, and then we're going to to ask three questions to see if we truly are people who could live unhindered and who could spread the ministry and get others doing this with us. So let's read Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. It's just 10 verses, but there's a lot going on here. It says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. And then he said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Sencria. That's a city just down the road. 
And there he shaved his head according to a Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. And they stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others behind. And while he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. And they asked him to stay longer, but he declined. And as he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing. And then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was at the port of Caesarea, and from there he went up and visited the church at Jerusalem. And then he went back to Antioch. And after spending some time at Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Phrygia, visiting and strengthening all the believers. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. And he'd been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, that's in Greece, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. And when he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. All right, there is a lot going on. I love, um, I love the book of Acts because sometimes Luke, the guy who wrote Acts, he spends like half a chapter just on one story in one city in one setting, and it's just really getting into what's going on and unpacking it. And then you get other sections like this where he just you know, speedboats through, you know, the, the, the story in these 10 verses. We have Paul going from uh, Corinth over to Ephesus, back to, uh, his, back to Jerusalem, back to his home church, and then back on his, then out on his third mission trip. There's a lot going on here, but I want to kind of break it down for you and help us understand it. And what's happening is Paul's winding up his second mission trip. Now, we've been in Acts for a while. Um, it started back in, uh, the first mission trip was Acts chapter 13. Now we're in Paul's second mission trip. Uh, he's been taking the gospel all around the Mediterranean, what we would know as um, modern-day Turkey and Greece. Uh, that's where he's been. Uh, he, he takes a total of four mission trips over his, over his time, over a period of about 10 to 15 years. And here in Acts 18, it says that Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. In other words, after uh, what we read about last week, where he had spent about a year and a half there. And then he said goodbye to the brothers and sisters, and he went to nearby Sincre, and there he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. Okay, so the first thing we see in this story is Paul begins to make his way back to Antioch. He begins to make his way back to his home church, back to his sending church, back to home base. That's the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out way back in Acts chapter 13. This is the church that really got the whole spread of the gospel to the Gentiles going. You know, there was the church in Jerusalem. That was kind of like home base. That was the headquarters. Uh, that's where the, uh, the apostles, Peter and others, were. And uh, from time to time, Paul would go back there 
And he would uh, talk to them and, and bring them up to date with what's going on. But Antioch, Antioch was Paul's sending church. They were the one who sent him out. So we see that Paul begins to make his way back to Antioch. We also see that he takes this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, along with him. This was a couple that he met uh, last week. Actually, he met them uh, earlier in the chapter. He didn't meet them last week. <laughs> he met them earlier uh, in the story, and he brings them along with him. And this is something I love about Paul. It's one of the things he was really good at. Paul rarely does ministry alone. Paul's always got somebody going with him. He almost always has. You know, first we see Paul and Barnabas doing ministry. Actually, it was Barnabas, uh, I think it was back in Acts chapter 10, who went and got Paul and brought him to Antioch to help him uh, disciple the believers there in Antioch. You know, and then they part ways, and Paul gets Silas and Timothy to come with him. And now he's found some more people to invest in, so he gets Aquila and Priscilla to come along. Now, the reason Paul did this, the reason Paul took people with him was so that he could pour into them, so he could invest them, so he could train them up. You know, he wasn't just looking for traveling companions so he wouldn't be bored, you know? He wasn't just looking for someone to split gas money with. You know, Paul was continually, he was bringing people with him so he could be pouring in into people so he could be training them up uh, and so he could be investing in them and giving them ministry responsibilities themselves. You see, Paul knew that the task of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, taking the gospel to the whole world was bigger than anything that he could do himself. He knew that he had to have help. And so he regularly took people along and trained them up. That's what we see in Acts chapter 18, verse 19. And it says, they stopped first at the port of Ephesus where Paul left them behind. How, how, how much would you love that? It's like, hey, let's go on a trip. All right, where we're we going? You know, we're going to uh, somebody name a country. Lithuania, thank you. Mexico, that's, that's like next door. You know, we can get back from that. We're going to Lithuania. That's over in Europe? Thank you. Okay. And, and we get to Lithuania, and maybe we stop. Um, what's a stopover between here and Lithuania? London. We get to London, and I'm like, hey, I'm leaving you here. I'm going on to Lithuania, but you're staying here. You'd be like, uh, I thought we were going to Lithuania, you know? I had my Lithuanian passport, and, you know, anyways, I don't know. Anyway, so, you know, that's what Paul does. They get to Ephesus, and Paul leaves them there. Now, here's the deal. Ephesus is new territory for the gospel. Now, if you look in your Bible and you flip past Acts and Romans and Corinthians uh, and you get to General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, anybody else still do that to remember the order? No, you do now. And so you get to Ephesians and there's a whole letter written to the church at, at Ephesus that Paul wrote to them. But at this time, there was no church at Ephesus. This was brand new territory. So Paul leaves uh, Aquila and Priscilla there to begin to establish the work. Later on, we're going to see this guy Apollos comes in and he builds on that. And we believe that's when the church got started. But Paul leaves them there so that they can do this. Ministry had to happen. The gospel had to spread. Paul couldn't do it all himself, and so he puts someone else in charge. I love this. Paul had taken someone, he had taken people with him. He had trained them up, and now he's sending them out so they could spread the gospel. And these are the three blanks there in your outline. This is the model that we see over and over uh, in, the, in the early church is take people with you. We see Paul do this. Take people with you. He takes people along as he, as he goes on these different things. He doesn't do ministry by himself. He trains, then the second thing is train people up. 
Don't just take them with you. Don't just let them watch what you do and see what you do and learn from you. Train them up. Give them opportunities to do it themselves. Give them opportunities to make mistakes. I was talking to somebody today about a new job they're in. I was like, how's it going? They're like, it's going good. I'm making mistakes, but I'm getting experience. That's how you get experience is by making mistakes and learning from them. And the same thing is true in ministry. Sometimes we're so afraid of giving people a chance to serve because they might mess it up. I love what my friend Brian says. Uh, he says, his dad says, what are you going to do? Send them to hell number two? I mean, think about it. If you mess it up, the, the, if, they're not, if they don't know Jesus yet and you're trying to tell them about Jesus, you can't make it any worse. You know, the gospel, just, just give people opportunities to share the gospel. Give people opportunities to share Jesus. Give people opportunities to serve. So take people with you, train people up, and then here's the third one, send people out. Send them out to go and do ministry. Send them out to go and start churches. Send them out to go and start brand new things. Or, there's actually an or in there, or let them take your place and you go be sent out. You know, we got to start a brand new church, um, Authentic Life Church, back about almost 10 years ago. It was back in uh, 2014. And one of the big contributors to that is we had about, uh, we had three families from our church plus two families that, that moved out here to help start that church. And we got to send them out to go start that brand new church, which is doing really well. It's down in the Rita Ranch area. Um, just, it's just doing amazing. But we had to send people out, and we had to have other people trained up to take their place. That's, that's how ministry ought to happen. And now, what's really cool here is, is just continuing along the story, is what we see going on at the end of Acts chapter 18. So Paul's headed back to Jerusalem. He's, he's gone up to Antioch. Uh, really, in verse 23, 24, he starts off on his third mission trip. We're going to get into that later. But check out what's going on back in Ephesus. Acts chapter 18, verse 24, 26, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. And he had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with enthusiastic spirit and accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. Let's pause right there. When Jesus came on the scene, before he came on the scene, there was a guy named John. He was um, the one who was the forerunner, and he prepared people for Jesus to come on the scene and say, hey, you need to what? Anybody? Starts with an R, ends with epent. There we go. You guys are smart. And he told people, you need to repent. You need to get your lives right. You need to turn back to God. And that was John's message. And so that's what, um, that's what Apollos knew about. He probably knew about the life and teaching of Jesus. But it goes on. It says he knew only about John's baptism, meaning he didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this. So verse, uh, what is it, 26, it says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and they explained the way of God even more accurately. So there was something lacking in, in his teaching. And, and what we believe it to be, what we know it to be, is he knew only about John's baptism. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He probably didn't know about Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection. And so I love what's going on here. There's this guy. He's eloquent. He's competent in the scriptures. This would be the Old Testament because the New Testament is being lived out right now. It's being written down right now. Um, he's got some knowledge about Jesus. He knew about John's baptism, but he still needed to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He still needed to learn about what it meant not just to know about Jesus and have information about Jesus, but to have a, a transformation because uh, Jesus has come in and, been, and become Lord of your life and you're trusting in his life, death, and resurrection. His crucifixion, death, and resurrection. 
to save you. And so this, this is what's really cool. Aquila and Priscilla, they do the same thing that Apollos, with Apollos that Paul did with him. They take him in. They take him under their wing. They take him aside. They don't scold him publicly. They say, hey, man, this guy's got potential. And they bring him aside. Uh, maybe they invite him over to the house for pizza or whatever. And they say, let's talk through some of these things. Here's what you got going right, but here's where you need to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord. And they spend time training him up in the areas he needed training. Verse 26 says, when they heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and exp- explained the way of God even more accurately. And then this is what's really cool. 27 and 20 go on to say that they send him out. He's like, hey, I feel called to go to Greece. I feel called to go to Achaia. And they're like, awesome. We need to send people out. And so they send him out to spread the gospel even further. What Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos was the same thing that Paul had done with them. And it's the same thing that Paul, that Barnabas did with Paul. This is the pattern we see of multiplication in the early churches is to take people along, to train people up, and to send people out. Would you say that with me? Take people along, train people up, send people out. Let's take, try it again. Take people along, train people up, send people out. Now, let's just be honest. Do we do that in the Baptist church today? Sometimes. Thank you. We do it sometimes. Could we do better at it? Absolutely. So here's three questions for us. The task that Jesus gave his disciples in Acts 1-8 to go and to, and to reach Judea, to be his witnesses in Judea, excuse me, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, is the, tax, is the task that he's given us today to reach our Tucson, and Pima County, and Arizona, and the ends of the earth. And that's a big task. That is a huge task. It's way more, you know, reaching the world is way more than, than any one of us. It's way more than our church can do alone. Even reaching Tucson is more than our church can do alone. We need to get others along with us. We need to take people along, train people up, and send them out. So here's three questions to ask ourselves. Is number one, are you reproducing? Are you reproducing? For some of you, you may say, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm saved. I'm a believer. You know, I'm showing up. I'm here today. You know, I got my free orange. You know, you can keep that, by the way. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I may, maybe even I'm in a connect group and, I, and, and, and I've got a place where I'm serving and, and I'm a regular. I'm a part of this whole machine, this whole organization that's trying to get the gospel out there. I'm doing my part. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet a lot of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, here's, that's great. That is awesome. That is wonderful. But let me ask you, are you reproducing? Are you reproducing yourself? This Wednesday during prayer and Bible study, we prayed for some missionaries, that prayer guide that we gave you um, last week. We prayed for some missionaries that are highlighted in the Annie Armstrong Easter offering week of prayer, our North American Mission Board missionaries. And one of those was a couple in uh, Newfoundland, Canada. Their names Matt and Ruth LaHaye, and they came to St. John's, uh, Newfoundland, as church planters. Before they got there, before they got there, the last church in the, in the Kilbride area, the Kilbride neighborhood of St. John's, had burned to the ground and it was never rebuilt. That was in 1892. 130 years without a gospel presence in that community. What Matt says is that for many Newfoundland Newfound, people from this area, uh, the idea of church, the idea of church is bound up in a building. Church is something you go to, not what you are. So when the building was destroyed, so was the church. 
Guys, we don't want to just keep this church going. It's great that this church is here. It's great that we're a shining light. In the, in, we're, we're a lighthouse in the darkness all around us. It's great that God's had us here for 65 years. It's great that he's used us to, to start other churches over the past 60 plus years. But we don't want to just keep this church going. We want to reproduce ourselves. We want to reproduce ourselves as believers. We want to see more and more people come to know Jesus, get discipled, get trained up, and get sent out. Paul shares with Timothy this idea when, he's, when Timothy's pastoring the, the, the church at Ephesus many years later. And, and he's telling him, it's not enough just that you pastor your church. It's not enough just that you, that you shepherd. You have to reproduce yourself. You have to train others up. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations of disciples making disciples making disciples. What you've heard in me, that's Paul talking to Timothy. So Timothy, what you've heard from me, Paul, pass on to other men who can pass on to others also. And many, many discipleship leaders say that the, the evidence of when you really have hit a discipleship movement in, in your church or in a, in a group of people is when you hit that fourth generation. Because I can, I can disciple one person and then go on and disciple another person, and go on and disciple another person. And they might even be able to disciple somebody else, but it's when that third group, that third generation begins to make disciples and pass it on. That's when you know that snowball is starting to, to roll. So let me ask you, who, who are you training up? Just think for a moment, who are you training up? Obviously, if you're a parent, you should be training up who? Your kids, right? If you're a grandparent, Train up your grandkids. That's how I first came to know the Lord is my mom didn't know about Jesus, but my grandmom did. And that's when, those are my first exposures to the Lord is spending summers at, at Nana and Pop's house. Who are you training up? If you look and you say, well, you know, I'm not training anybody up, then ask yourself this, who could you be training up? Who could you be investing in? Who could you be pouring into? Question one is, are you reproducing? Question two might sting a little bit, but it's, are you reproducible? Are you reproducible? In other words, are you the kind of person that you want someone else to be like? Listen to what 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says. Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To be reproducible means that you tell somebody else, follow me as I follow Jesus. Live like me because I'm living like Jesus lived. There was a song years ago, country song, I've been watching you. Little boy's in the back seat and he, there's a, dad has to hit the brakes or whatever and he says a bad word and he hears his son in the back say a bad word. And he's like, where did you learn that? And he says, what? I've been watching you. When the dad feels guilty and he goes and he prays and he asks, you know, he repents. And he's like, Lord, change me. And then he goes to tuck his, his little boy in bed and he sees the little boy get down out of bed and he starts praying. He says, where'd you learn to do that? And he said, I've been watching you. Boy, I got to tell you, that song kicked my tail years ago because I had, I think Drew was about that age. He, he can't fit in a car seat no more. Uh, but he was about that age. <laughs> and, and it really it spoke to me because I was like, wow, I got somebody watching me. I got somebody watching the way I live. Can I just tell you guys, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, if you're, or if you're in the Jesus family, then you have people who are watching you. Parents, you got people watching you. You got your kids watching you. And, and grandparents, your grandkids are watching you to see. Uh, and they're going to grow up to be just like you. Sometimes we wonder, what's wrong with our kids? All you got to do is look in the mirror sometimes. Amen? 
Okay, but parents, your kids are watching you. Let that sink in for just a minute. Students, your, your friends are watching you. At school, at college, at high school, middle school, wherever it is, your friends are watching you to see if you're the real deal, to see if you're genuine, to see if you, you know, more than just have the camp t-shirt or, or whatever, but are you genuine? Are you real? At work, people are watching you. Now, I'm in a pretty unique situation. I'm 99.9% I'm sure that everybody I work with here at the church already loves Jesus, you know, a couple of them I'm praying for. Just kidding. Uh, but, you know, I'm in a unique situation. Everybody I work with loves Jesus. I know that for without, a, without a shadow of a doubt. Where you work, though, it's probably not like that. Where you work, probably 90% of the people you work with, statistically for Tucson, you know, 90% of the people you work with don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And if they know you're a Christian, they're watching you. They're watching the way you live. They're watching the way you do business. They're watching the, the way you talk, the jokes you tell, the, whether or not you gossip about other people, whether or not you're trustworthy and honest. They're watching all this. They're watching to see whether or not what you say you believe really has not just informed your brain, but transformed your heart. They're watching to see if, if this Jesus that you say you believe in, if this is really who they've been looking for all their lives, and has he made a difference in your lives? So let me ask you, would you want someone following your example? Would you want someone turning out just like you? I'm not saying you've you got to be perfect, but as you look at your life, would you say, yeah, I, I want somebody following me. If, if, if somebody was a new believer or if I got to lead somebody to faith in Jesus and they say, what do I do next? You just say, follow me. Walk like I walk. Do like I do. And if you can't say that, then what do you need to work on? What area right now are you thinking about in your own life where you're like, oh man, I got to get that straightened out. I got to work on that. And that may lead us to number three. The third question is, not just are you reproducing and not just are you reproducible, but number three, who are you following? You see, before you can reproduce yourself, you, you gotta be reproducible. And to be reproducible, you gotta be some, somebody that, that, that you would want others to follow. And that begins with following Jesus. To be reproducible begins with asking myself, who am I following? Am I following Jesus? I love what First John says. The whole book of First John is just a great book to, to check your life and say, hey, am I on the right path or not? But 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, it says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Now, this is not, let me just pause. This is not legalism, okay? This is not, okay, if I do enough things and I must be saved, no. It's because you love Jesus that you obey his commands, got it? I'm not a husband because I take out the trash and help with chores around the house and show up at home every night. That doesn't make me a, I do those things because I do want to keep coming home. Uh, but that's what I do because I love my wife. I don't do that in order to sort of earn husbandhood. You with me? Same thing with Jesus. Doing a bunch of Bible stuff, doing a bunch of stuff in the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. But if you are following Jesus, you're going to keep his commands. Got it? Okay, so this is how we know we, we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a what? And the, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as Jesus walked. The one who says that they are in Christ, that they remain in him, should walk 
as Jesus walked. So a very, simply, very, very simple question, who are you following? Are you walking as Jesus walked? Are you following him? Or are you on your own path, doing your own thing? Some of you today, as we're sitting here talking about this, you're like, man, I, I, I hope nobody follows me. My life is such a mess. I've made so many mistakes. I'm so broken and busted. I hope nobody follows me. It doesn't have to be that way. That can all change today. You can place your faith in Jesus and begin to follow him. Some of you here today are Christ followers. You're Jesus people. You know without a shadow of a doubt that there's been a time when you are saved, but you have gotten off track. You have wandered. You have drifted. You may have even jogged away at, at as best speed you could. You can come back today. Let's pray. Father.